Hello everyone, welcome back to the State of the Ark po- the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. Um so who, here's the thing, uh fellas. Uh what was is supposed to happen is we choose a topic and then we study that topic throughout the week. And then we come to the podcast with interesting thoughts, well researched and well um thought through perspectives and opinions and takes on interesting story uh, telling tech, like methods and you know what I'm trying to say um, what I'm trying to say is that I didn't do that we didn't do that exactly <laughs> that's not how this podcast worked that's how the other ones work I am so freaking like burned out and exhausted and I'm honestly I'm just trying to manage too many things I'm trying to do too much so I need to think about how to scale back so that the things we do, we do them really well. Yeah. So uh, we've already picked out next week's topic. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, how to properly adapt a video game into a film. And I, I already have ideas for that. It's just that I haven't done that research. So I, I don't feel like I could say anything interesting about it right now. Right. So... We took to Discord. That'll be next week. We had you guys suggest a couple things for us to just spitball and talk nonsense about for the next hour. Next week's podcast will be good, so if you can hang until then and uh, <laughs> just bear with us. Yeah, for, for this forgive week. us. Forgive <laughs> us this time. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we're not going to do any stories of the week. I didn't see anything in the news that I thought was interesting, so we're skipping that. And we're going to move straight into two things that you guys uh, wanted to, just to talk about this week. One, the question, this is not my question. I didn't phrase it this way. This was, <laughs> this is how it was given straight to me. Straight out of Discord. The question is, why do silent protagonists suck? The second one we're going to talk a little bit about is narrative versus world building. What's better for RPGs? So those are kind of the two things we're going to hit on. Uh, we did have one question that I forgot to address a couple weeks ago because I, I we had planned on doing it, but then the podcast was really long on. So I was like, "Hey, we'll come back to your question later," and it was due to um, just due to the length of that particular podcast. But this came from THP on YouTube, and it's about um, how to become more social, how to get over fear and anxiety with um, socializing, talking to people, things like that. Um, but before we do any of that, there's actually one thing I need to, to address as well. A couple weeks ago, I did a podcast about, to summarize, mostly brain science, the way that um, our brains, individual brains perceive things differently, even though it's the same stimulus, based on cultural and social upbringing and all, all kinds of different factors, right? Um, there was one thing that I said in there that I had I had misinterpreted the study um, regarding uh, the tribes in Africa that see colors differently and stuff like that. So I wanted to read uh, what uh, Kit Kitten Nugget on Twitter, um, who is an, uh, uh, definitely more knowledgeable in this field than me, said in response to that to sort of correct myself hmm. a little bit. 
Uh, he says, hello, Mike. Let me start my message by saying that I'm a big fan of the Resident Arc YouTube channel. You guys probably do my favorite YouTube content right now. And the State of the Arc podcast is the only podcast I still make sure to find time to listen to. Thank you for, for doing that. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Glad that you like it. He says, I'm writing this message because I'm a Portuguese student doing my master's thesis on cognitive science, more specifically on cultural differences in perception. And while listening to the last podcast, I thought I could have some things to say that you might find interesting regarding the role of language in perception. Namely, what you described on the podcast has been called the, I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. Hmm. Uh, the notion that language affects perception in such a way that it can change the way we see color. But there are two currents of this hypothesis. You can think about it in two ways. In one hand, you can think about it like language is shaping your mental world in such a way that we don't have a we don't have a word for something, or when we don't have a word for something, it's basically like that something does not exist. In that, this is similar to um, I think Lannan's talked about this in Japanese, like the word for blue, isn't blue it? Blue and or, green are the same. Uh, the yeah. same word, right? They, so they don't have. Yeah, they technically have a word for green. It would be like Midori, but everything they say, Ao, the sky, and like they call when the traffic light turns green, they call that turning blue. And mm. that's just how their culture worked. Right. Time. So due to, I think what he's saying here is due to that, mm. you know, that's going to, the, the fact that that word doesn't exist is kind of what, where he's going with this, right? Right. You can talk about it like language is shaping your mental world in such a way that we don't have a word. When we don't have a word for something, it's basically like that something doesn't exist. In that vein, language would actually affect perception, such as the Nambians and Westerners um, who would actually see colors differently. And that would be pretty exciting. But unfortunately, this isn't what research has been showing. So that's what I was saying is that they see the color red differently than I see the color red due to their language. That's mm. kind of one of, that's what I thought the hypothesis of the study was. Uh, apparently it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, says the role of language in perception might be more related to attention to details. Let me give you an example. The Eskimos have different names for the, the different tones of white. What this does uh, is that it directs the Eskimos' attention to different whites, such that small changes in this color might be noticed by them. But us Westerners might see two slightly different whites, but those whites are always the color white to us because we are not paying attention to the way in which they differ, but mm -hmm. the way in which they are similar. So imagine you present two very similar whites to a Westerner. He might say that it's the same color, not because he doesn't see the difference, but because it isn't important to him. While an Eskimo might say they are a different color, but the Eskimo and the Westerner aren't actually seeing something different. The information on the and on the routine is the same, or on the retina maybe. On the retina, I think retina. yeah. The on the retina, the way that's color. coming through the retina, yeah. is the same. Uh, the way they process it is what's different. I hope this was helpful. Thank you for all the effort you put into the channel. Well, great, dude. We got some pretty legit people that listen to our podcast. <laughs> Makes me feel good, man. Yeah, me too. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, yeah, cool. but thank I'm you glad to have that clarified a little. I still think there's, you know, room for difference there, even though the colors they're seeing are the same. What is red to a Westerner and what is red to a tribe in Africa, the Nambian or whatever they said, mm. um, what we call red might be slightly different. But when presented with the same color, we would both see it the same way. So yeah, right. most the most brains 
are interpreting that color yeah. the same so way. So their typical standard red might be a more of a maroon to us, but <laughs> yeah, but it's not necessarily because we're the brains are seeing a different color yeah, or, or that we're that not noticing sense. the difference as much as it just we don't pay attention to the differences due to our language. There you go. Um, and and that that example of Japanese with blue and green having the same word mm. is a great example, I think. So yeah. anyways, wanted to clear that up, uh, make sure that uh, the correct information and interpretation of that study was shared. Okay. Cool. Shutting my brain off for the rest of this. Let's get to some why do protagonists <laughs> so, suck? So, Mike, why why do silent protagonists suck? Well, I'll tell you why. So, I think that silent protagonists suck because they are misused. Anytime mm. that you 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 know you you'll something like that a a tool in the the game developer creator's toolkit, which is silent protagonist, right? right? It's it's really hard for me to ever say the tool sucks. It's when you try to use the tool <laughs> true, for the true. wrong purpose yeah. that it sucks, right? So if I have if the if the job that needs to be done is that I need um, to to drill a screw uh, into the wall, yeah, I can use a hammer for that, but it's not gonna be good to hammer the screw into the wall like it's gonna like the it's gonna jink up the wall it's not gonna the screws are not the the we call it the thread is not gonna like go through the right way and it's not gonna hold in the wall if i just bang it in there right whereas if you twist it in with the screwdriver or with a with a power drill or something like that you know that that tool is efficient for that job so silent protagonists are very effective tools for the purpose of role playing. And when I talk about role playing, I'm talking about like very sp- like traditional D and D style role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you have a game like The Elder Scrolls, a, a series like that, um, it's not really a silent protagonist in the sense that the guy doesn't talk. It's just that he doesn't, he's not voiced. You choose. Yeah, and everything he says is your choice. Yeah, there's tons and tons of dialogue options where I can choose what to say. And that, that, you know, we have dialogue trees and branches that lead to different outcomes. And, you know, you'll have multiple endings for either the game or just for that quest or um, whatever it is, right? So silent protagonists as, as a tool for that purpose, for the purpose of immersive role playing, are great. The problem is that I think where this sentiment is coming from is silent protagonists within the Japanese style RPG, which is influenced by traditional role playing, but tries to be, tries to have like a stronger narrative rather than like building a world and letting you go out in there and like explore that world and just like mm-hmm. see what's there and sort of interact with it, which is more like traditional D and D because like, right. So when, when you're playing D and D you're a DM, right? You, right. Tr- if you try too hard to like tell a narrative, you're going to have a really hard time because it's gonna there's never, yeah. there's never a group of guys that are just going to do exactly what you want them to do. And, right. you know, one guy's going to be kind of the clown of the group. It always happens. Who wants to be contrarian and do the, the thing you 
don't expect and the and make it funny. And that's part of the fun of it is the group dynamic. And it's more about that group telling their own story in the world that you built. That's what good DMs do. If you try too hard to structure a linear narrative for them to follow, they're going to not like it. They're going to feel restricted. That's like not that's not the place mm-hmm. to like try and like give a novel type of linear storytelling. Rather, you, you set up a world, you let them go create their own story in it. And I think that silent protagonists, for that purpose in video games, are great. It's when you're trying to tell this really important narrative with a specific theme and specific setups and payoffs and, and a more of a linear traditional story, and then your character doesn't talk, that it feels out of place and weird, and then people are like, well, this character doesn't have any depth to them. Right, and yeah. They, <laughs> And that's when it starts yeah. to feel wrong. Um, yeah, those are my fun. thoughts on that. But I, I would say the silent protagonist thing, it works so much better. Like you mentioned things like, like D&D. And I guess there were more older games that were more like similar to how D&D actually kind of was, as opposed to um, like games today, games like Elder Scrolls, where it's like, You've got something that uses D and D elements, but clearly is you know, it's it's not exactly the way that D and D kind of used to work. And I think there yeah. is a bit of a time like split, like people who grew up playing things like D and D or uh, the early Nintendo games, early Sega, early even into the PlayStation era, um, that there were most of the protagonists were silent; they didn't say anything. Like you played Mario or you know Duck Hunt or I don't know. There, whatever games you played, even the first like Legend of Zelda, no nobody talked back then. Every now and then you get stories where your character actually talked and you hit A and read the dialogue. But I, there's it's almost like a product of its time that people who grew up throughout the 80s and 90s would prefer a silent protagonist more than people who grew up past the year 2000, where there were I think there were less silent protagonists and even even games like Legend of Zelda as it progressed from what it was to what it is it makes less and less sense for each subsequent game to have a silent protagonist feature. But that's that's how it started. That's probably how it will continue for a long time. But I think there's a time split there um, with people who are older being okay with it and people who are younger being like, why the heck? What is the deal with silent protagonist? That's stupid, right? Yeah. Uh, Anvil of Doom says, I wouldn't count a character where you choose dialogue options for them as a silent character. I would only count characters such as Gordon Freeman or Chrono, characters who literally don't communicate almost. Now, here's the thing. With Gordon Freeman, I think I agree with you. But I would say almost no, no other time is it meant for us to believe that the character doesn't speak. Even Link from The Legend of Zelda will have moments where the the king character goes, what happened here? And then Link does this animation where he's like, he's got his arms out and he's kind of like doing this. Like he's talking, exactly. Obviously he freaking talks. Like when he goes to meet Zelda in uh, Ocarina of Time, she goes like, I had this dream, like who are you? And what's your name? Oh, Link? Obviously he said his name to her. So yeah. Link does talk in See, those stories. See, and that's stories. one of the reasons why going forward, it, it gets more and more difficult to keep Link as a silent protagonist. Yeah. Um, especially when you watch those cutscenes in Breath of the Wild with Mipha or Zelda. Or, it's like, why, why is Link not talking? <laughs> it's always people talking at him and he's just kind of listening or, you know, he's trying to do something, but he's not, 
he's not responding, but all these people are talking to him as if he does usually respond. Just in this case, he's not, but it, it makes it really awkward. And I love the silent protagonist link. It would, I would not approve of, I would almost say 99.9% .9 that any voice actor they give to link, I would not like. Yeah. But that doesn't mean, you know, both sides it, it's, it's true because on the other side you've got, yeah, it's awkward. He's not talking. What the heck? But if he talked, I'd be like, dude, this guy's voice sucks. This is not what Link should sound like. <laughs> well, I, here's, there's a huge problem there for a lot of video game uh, creators. Here's here's the reason that I think why it works for characters like Link and Chrono. Mm. Um, they're they're again, it's uh, it's never black and white. Like my example of if it's a world building type of thing and it's not like a linear narrative, then then a a silent protagonist works better because you're role playing. So they try to take yeah. away as much characterization from that protagonist as possible. So you can sort of exude your own yeah. personality through it because you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be role playing. Yeah. It's um, like reading a book instead of, well, actually not so much because it's a narrative, but in terms of you're filling everything with your own mind, yeah. you're not, um, it's not all being presented to you. You have to fill in the gaps yourself a little bit. Right. So there, there's definitely a difference between the Elder Scrolls, which is trying to simulate more closely the D&D type role-playing experience, and then on the other spectrum, something that's very linear narrative-focused like a, a Final Fantasy game, let's say Final Fantasy VII, right? Which allows you to rename the characters because that was just a trend, because that was like the way they tried to get you to connect and role-play yeah. But the character has characterization. They have a story already set in stone. They have a personality. I am not him. He yeah. has dialogue. And so, like, there is a certain, like, disconnect there. It's not really role-playing anymore. Like, it's called a Japanese role-playing game because of the style that it's taken on. But that's not really role-playing at all. You're just watching a story. Yeah. The yeah. only role-playing aspect is customizing the character's equipment and stats and how... Um, you, you know, customize their abilities. That part of it's there, but the actual story role-playing is no longer there. So mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, you find Chrono Trigger and, like, The Legend of Zelda, right? Now, The Legend of Zelda is not an RPG from a gameplay perspective, per se, but it still kind of carries that story role-playing element in that it subtly guide you into allowing Link to interact with people because we're not trying to say he's a mute or something like that. He can't literally not speak. And obviously he would need to speak to interact with the people in the world. But they take away as much as possible showing him doing that so that you can kind of like personify yourself through the character. And to me, that's always been effective in the Zelda series. Like, yeah. I, I agree with you in saying that I don't think Link should have a voice. Yeah. And I think that there's a very certain style to the way dialogue happens in The Legend of Zelda that would be lost. It's a, there's a character to how characters in the world of, of Hyrule interact with Link that is like a staple of how it feels to go through those games that would be lost if he had a voice and he yeah. like responded back to people. 
So I would never want to see that happen personally. Yeah, me too. And it's a similar idea with Chrono. There are still like dialogue options sometimes. You can choose to do this or choose to say this. It's very, very basic. Suikoden uh, is very much the same way. You'll have like options every once in a while um, for things that how you can respond back to someone. But it's very minimal. And I think the purpose of that is to try to retain the element of I'm I'm stepping in and role playing, but they want to have their cake and eat it too to a certain extent where they can still tell their focused narrative um, while also letting you feel like you're role playing. Um, kind of a best of both worlds scenario. And that that yeah. is effective or not effective depending on the example. I think Chrono Trigger and The Legend of Zelda is effective. I think Suikoden's pretty effective. Um, I'm sure that if I sat long enough and thought about it, I could think of some places where I don't think it's that effective. I th- oh, oh, Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross, I felt Cross. like the character should have spoke. Um, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel like the silent protagonist in Cross worked for that particular story they were telling. I, th- I felt like he needed to speak. So, you know, there's a spectrum here to work in, and um, it, it's going to be, you know, up to the individual to decide what they like and what they don't like. But I, 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 I'm hesitant to call the tool bad or say that the tool sucks because if used in the right way, I think it's the only choice sometimes. It's the only way to go. It's, it doesn't make any sense to do it otherwise. If you want, the, if you want your person, your, your player, to feel like they are role-playing, giving the character a voice doesn't make any sense because mm-hmm. now, now it's taken away from them. They aren't the character. It's not, it's not them themselves, right? So yeah, yeah. obviously in that scenario, having the character speak would be the tool that sucks. <laughs> so <laughs> anyways... True. Why does why do voice acted protagonists suck, Mike? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, what are people saying here? Uh, Jojo Face, thank you for subscribing. Yeah, what's up, Parker? <laughs> Appreciate it, man. Oh, uh, I, I have a thought though. I have a thought real quick. Go for it. There, there are a couple. Um, I've seen a lot of old Japanese sam- Japanese samurai films, right? Mm-hmm. And in those movies, the main character, the the lead samurai who you're supposed to identify with. He is not somebody who flaunts his abilities. He's not somebody who um, who shows off. Uh, he is he is very quiet. He's he's slow to be angry and he's slow to speak and all that kind of stuff. Um, but when somebody attacks him, he is able to all of a sudden his his abilities come out right and. There, there's like an idea within Japan of um, like, n- you know, people who are arrogant are looked down upon even more. Like you're supposed to hide that. You're supposed to be humble. Like humility is a huge thing in Japan. And um, even the best people in the world, uh, even some of like their athletes or some of the sumo wrestlers, you listen to them talk and they are incredibly humble and it's built into their culture. It's kind of how they have to be. And the Japanese will respect even more somebody who does not talk very much and and then is able to go out and perform and you know beat somebody up or do whatever it is i remember there was a movie called uh, zatoichi that old japanese samurai film but uh the main character is zatoichi he is blind can't see anything and he does not say almost a word ever and but all of a sudden when people try and attack him it's like it comes out his sword comes out and he's able to do stuff that just was like, oh my gosh, it makes you respect him so much more because he didn't flaunt his abilities. Um, 
but it's not it's not just bragging or being arrogant it's it's just not talking much like people who don't talk much in japanese culture but can back up you know they but can hold their own essentially are uh people that a lot of a lot of japanese people really like that like they really gravitate towards that and i think a lot of video games especially with silent protagonists um will you know it's it's kind of cool when mm-hmm. when characters are like that Mm-hmm. So I think there might be some cultural thing too with Japanese influence on the video game industry, with why silent protagonists are, are seen in maybe a by a lot of people, especially old times, uh, sure. are seen in a more positive light. Uh, Anvil of Doom, and there was somebody else who said something. I think it was before that. Oh, Hydrated Cloth says it worked for Commander Shepard, and Anvil of Doom says, well, a game mm-hmm. like Dragon Age Inquisition has both dialogue options and a voice for your character. I believe you can choose a handful of voices. So I will agree in saying that in Mass Effect, it worked as in the game works. Uh, sure. The, yeah. the fact that Shepard is voiced and you make dialogue options At the works. same time, though, I didn't feel like I was Shepard. Yes, like that, was, that was my point. <laughs> yeah, I never felt close. like I was Shepard. Yeah, I always he's... saw him as a separate person from yep. me. So if the if the goal of the developer was for me to feel like I'm implanted in the world, this is me going around doing this, then it wasn't effective. But I don't think that was necessarily the goal. Um, whereas if I when I play Skyrim, I feel like I'm the dude. Like I feel like I am the Dragonborn. I'm the person. Yeah. He doesn't feel like a separate person for me. Part of that is the first perspective. Even though you yeah, customize your character part. and stuff like that in Mass Effect as well, but when when I'm seeing it like first person perspective has like just like an innate ability to make me feel like I'm there, I'm the person. Yeah. But that's not to say that you can't also have that kind of connection. Like I said, maybe through Link or something that's in a third person. Like like there's no black and white in this. There's no like have yeah, it one way or the work other in different situations you can there's so many ways you can do it but all i'm saying is is that in something like dragon age or mass effect i didn't feel like i was that person in skyrim and oblivion and uh morrowind i felt like i was the person right and i think that's the difference um i don't know i think we've uh what's up everybody about that Who's uh, entered into uh, to the chat here recently? Welcome. We're What's moving up, now into. We can't um, respond to everyone, but hey, and we're reading up? all the chats. So <laughs> we're moving now into. It's actually a pretty good segue. Yeah, actually, we're very similar. I realize. <laughs> <laughs> moving into narrative versus world building. What's better for RPGs? Um, so we why talk. Does narrative suck. <laughs> <laughs> why does? <laughs> Why does narrative suck? It should be more world building. That's apparently well. We read that interview several weeks back. It was an interview with Tetsuya Takahashi, who's the yeah. creator of the Xeno series, so Xeno mm-hmm. Gears, Xeno Saga, Xeno Blade. Um, and he was. It was a. Uh, I can't remember. There was a job listing for Monolith where they were hiring people specifically for like map building or something like that, uh-huh. and he was talking about how. Map building is like the true foundation cornerstone of RPGs. And the suggestion was that building the world is what you should be focusing on, not so much the story and other things like that. And I think that the philosophy there is that we're trying to stick a character, the player, into the world and let them kind of go out 
maybe even to some degree, kind of like I was saying, tell their own story, you know, through their unique choices and exploration through that world and how they find things. And that trying to structure this rigid linear narrative uh, isn't as good for role-playing games, in his opinion. Mm. I don't... I neither, like, agree or disagree with that. I think that's just one way um, to do it. And I think that it's very effective. Like, I, I, you know, there are a lot of people I've talked to... Well, I think this happens with anything that becomes mainstream or widely popular. So when Skyrim completely, like, exploded and it was yeah. just, like, a freaking world phenomenon and everyone was playing... I think I just said that wrong. Phenomenon with an N, not an M. Phenomenon. Um, <laughs> anyways, everyone was playing it. The freaking music was being memed everywhere. Yeah. Fusroda. Like, it just became huge, right? And the whenever that happens... Knee. Yeah, arrow in the knee. Yeah. When, whenever that happens, you have just a certain kind of person who's, like, automatically against that. If it's popular then, you know, they're more critical of it, more nitpicky of it, you know, like, my my tastes are more refined than what all you sheep are out there wanting to play, right? So having a channel where I talked primarily about more niche JRPGs, I think there was a more common sentiment in my community of, like, oh, Skyrim's overrated kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I was having discussions... Uh, with a certain person, I don't remember who it was. It was many years ago. This is before I think we even migrated to Worry Lasky Plays. This was back like in Eisen Wilshire days. So, anyways, we're talking, and what I noticed is that, like, he was judging Skyrim based on what he looks for in his JRPGs, which is strong, focused narrative with really good characterization. Um, you know, the characters are well-developed. They have relationships with each other. Right. And, uh, you know, a combat system that is complex and that requires strategy and all of these sorts of things, right? These are all the things he's saying Skyrim doesn't have. And it's like, well, you're not wrong about any of that. But I'll tell you what Skyrim... Like, what I do, what I did when I played Skyrim, mostly was explore. It was all about, like, finding that next waypoint yeah. and what's going to be there. Am I going to fall into a rabbit hole, so to speak, of, like, a new kind of adventure that I find at this waypoint? Is there something, there's always something else waiting kind of on the horizon. And you go and you discover it. Like, I remember I'd set goals for myself. It's like, okay, I can see, because you're exploring and you get, like, the sort of, like, vague... Uh, like um, uh, not opaque but transparency on like these waypoints that are close by so it's like ooh there's something over there right so you can kind of like start heading that direction and I tell myself okay I can see three of them I'm gonna go see what those three things are and then I'm gonna stop playing and then I'd go and find it and then it'd be like oh but there's like a whole quest sort of like at this place I really want to do this quest now and I start like boom, 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 like exploring and, and you end up playing like six hours longer than yeah, you intended way more. to <laughs> because yeah. you get lost in the finding out what there is out there Yeah, and to me that's entirely what the fascination with Skyrim was you know once you've done that 
now I try to go back to Skyrim and replay it because I kind of unlocked every waypoint. I did like every quest in the game. I figured everything out. When there was no longer any uh, mystery behind like the world and I, there was nothing left for me to discover in it, mm-hmm. I can't go back and play the game anymore really. Like I've replayed the game more than once, but it was like I'm going to try it with uh, the the command codes and and cheating through and just like messing <laughs> yeah. around and seeing what there is. But yeah. I've never like legit played the game again without cheat codes and without like messing around in the world and just like s- testing its limits since my first playthrough because that was entirely what it was about was about discovery and exploration. And so when I ex- explained that to the guy, he was like, "Oh, like I didn't think about it that way, you know, like." It's like, yeah, combat sucks in Skyrim. Everyone knows this. That's <laughs> yeah. not that's not why yeah. I'm playing it. That's not why it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if they improved the combat, you know, that would be great, and and I would really that would make the game better overall, sure. But like, I still had as much of a draw to come back, right? I'd shut it off, and I'd have to go to school, or I'd have to go do something else, and I'd be thinking yeah. about getting back home and playing again. I had that kind of like addict to the gameplay loop of the game but it was mm. completely driven by its exploration so yeah. in that sense the world building was everything that made the game valuable to me and yeah. the story the narrative was a total like distraction almost from it like i it wasn't important as important mm. to me as just the world itself and the setting of that place and the history and the lore and reading the books and just like the the discovery in every aspect was what I loved about it. Um, I I kind of felt that way um, about Skyrim as well, but also with Breath of the Wild. And it actually kind of makes the game harder to play again. Like you mentioned, playing it a second Mm -hmm. time after you've explored everything, the game has a lot less to offer because you know where everything is. Yeah. I felt that way about uh, Breath of the Wild as well. Like, yeah. I think I tried to pick it up again. There was part of me I was like, hmm, Breath of the Wild. Uh, let's, just, let's just open this up again. See what's I up. started doing the hard mode. It was really and cool. I just, yeah. Like, I already knew everything was on the map, and I found myself going, like, I don't really care to play this again. You just go Whereas, straight to the Divine B, straight here, straight to the swords, straight. And it's s- like, ah, you're not exploring anymore. It's not as fun. So, you know... I, I guess that brings up to my mind now, like what what's the difference then in these games that I do replay over and over again? Why will mm. I replay Final Fantasy VII annually for the rest of my life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I won't do that for something like Skyrim. I mean, obviously, I've seen right. those scenes over and over again. Yeah. I've there's nothing necessarily to discover in it. It's just that that story is so dang fascinating to me. Like. Yeah. And the the character is so beloved. And so, like, there is a certain, I don't know, there's a certain f- fascination that comes from a really interesting setting and exploring that setting, exploring that world. But for me, it's a one-time thing. Once you've done that, and, and if that's what it's got to offer, that's its main thing, then I can't really go back to it again. But if the story was great, and especially if it creates any sort of like powerful emotion in you, I think you have memories tied to that now. And like yeah. the nostalgia begins for that thing, right? So when you revisit it, it's like you remember where you were. You remember how you felt. You remember the message and how that impacted you at the time. 
and you sort of like remind yourself of uh, the inspiration you got from it. And, and that is something that I feel you can always use reminders of. Uh, it keeps you um, holding on to the truths that you learned from that or from uh, like, like I always talk about uh, Chrono Trigger affecting my career choices. Right. Oh, like yeah. I was at a place where I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was saving money for college, but I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to pursue in life. And when I played that game, I knew I wanted to tell stories that made people feel inspired the way that I was. So when I replay Chrono Trigger, that feeling like emboldens that choice that I made and goes like, yeah, like I'm still doing this. Like I, this is what I want. So maybe that's. We've gotten totally off topic, I feel, but like I think that to me is why narrative-driven games are things are, are games that I can return to many, many times. But that doesn't like lessen how immersed and involved and engrossed I was in a strong setting. It's just for me, I can't tend to like return if that's the only reason to return is for the exploration part of it. Um, but both can be super effective in yeah, when, when people you. are giving examples of both having happy, happy mediums in certain ways, like the Witcher three, obviously <laughs> has come up. Um, that one's more narrative I'd say, but the world building is still fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. but then somebody brought up fable and I was like, that's actually a pretty good example. Um, in yeah. terms of, um, having like a good medium also with the silent protagonist thing. Um, yep. he's not totally silent, but he's like pretty silent. I guess he, he farts and stuff, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you, you have that wheel of emotions you can show. And anyways, he does, that, he just like chicken sounds. <laughs> um, so but for the most part, I would say, don't even, I don't know. You got to focus on what, what are the other needs to be your focus? If you focus on neither, you might miss both. Or if you focus on both, you might miss neither. Yeah, that's mostly that's that's kind of the oh, hit neither. There you go. That's kind of the the tar the argument that I make for hybrid style action RPGs, where you're yeah. trying to have like command based elements, but also yeah. like action elements at the same time. And it's like, I've pick one. <laughs> I've not yet found actually. That's not true. Until this week, I felt like I had never played something that accomplished that at least the way that I wanted to. I played. 0.2 birth by sleep a fragmentary, fragmentary passage yeah that has pretty fun gameplay actually dude that's as close as i think square enix has ever gotten to a command system and an action system working in conjunction where i felt like i was making choices on the command menu yeah, and moving and dodging and doing stuff However, yeah. you still can't control a full party of characters in that game. No, it's so one character, yeah. They haven't nailed that part of it. But mm -hmm. the idea of I have a, a little window over here with commands, attack, magic, items, and I can up and down through that make selections while also managing my character moving in real time and dodging and blocking and attacking and using this kind of magic and then doing this kind of thing. Yeah. I actually legit loved the gameplay in 0.2. Um, I gotta say, Kingdom Hearts 3 is gonna be really good. <laughs> they have slowly polished up many of the points of um, dislike throughout yeah. the past games, and I think 3 is just gonna be crazy. Yeah, I, I feel like um, 
they that game is as close to the 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 best of both worlds hybrid that I've yet played. And if Kingdom mm. Hearts play or Kingdom Hearts three plays like Fragmentary Passage, I, I then heard it will. that's the kind of thing where I could just skip cutscenes and play the game and still really enjoy it. Yeah. Very rarely can I do that because um, I really like to get engrossed in the story. But if the game plays that way, then I will be happy to play the game. I'll have fun playing the game. And uh, anyways, but I make that argument about trying to have a hybrid between the two things. You can't control more than one person at a time in an action game. It's not possible. I can't run this guy this way and simultaneously run this guy that way and simultaneously run another guy that way and simultaneously be going through their each of their commands in real time and and giving them all at once. Your brain can't process that. It's not possible. So you have to pause the battle so that you can switch to this guy and give him a command. So you have to either sacrifice the real-time action aspect to give yourself the control of the party or you have to sacrifice control of the party so that everything can move in real time and you feel like the the action is high you yeah. pick one or the other you can't have the best you can't have both and, and final fantasy 12 with the gambit system did some really cool things in relation to that yeah. there is a planning element where you're not directly controlling these guys but you are ordering they are essentially doing what you most of the time would have told them to do in that situation yeah. anyways. Um, I, I kind of would like to see something like that brought back in, in a more of an action. Type so thing. I, I made a video on this, but it was a, it was in reaction, I guess, to a conversation I had with Heon. And this, this is, I think really the best way to do it is rather than trying to do pull off the impossible, which is, Give the player direct control over all the party members, yeah. make it an action-based system that's super cool and has combos and all kinds of, like, reactionary. It tests your, like, motor skills, reaction, reaction-based reaction uh, skill to reading boss patterns and dodging and blocking. But at the same time, uh, incorporates strategy. I need to use this guy and his skills for this, and I need to use this uh, guy yeah, and his yeah. skills for this. It's You can't do it. So have some kind of slider right to where if it's at this end the action stops and it's more like a turn-based game it's now this person's turn in the initiative and i choose for them what to do then i move to this character and then in the initiative i choose for them what to do if the slider's all the way on the other side then time never stops and you just control one person and you run through and you just do what you do and you maybe use gambits to like tell other people what they need to do but anywhere in between you could get this like bullet hell style, like slow mo, right? And you could customize how fast or how slow that is, hmm. so that the the battle can still move. But it's like I customize it so that it moves just a little bit more in slow motion, giving me just that little bit extra time to tell the other character, switch to the character, and tell them what to do, and then switch back. Or I could make it go really slow, but it still feels like the battle's moving. It's just that, you know. Uh, say you and me and someone else are on the battlefield together. The time that it takes my brain to make a decision on my next action is instantaneous. Yeah. Right. So like the thought of it is we go into the slow motion, but it's just like this person it's is making the decision for themselves on what to do next really quickly. But the abstract presentation of that is we've gone into bullet hell 
slow-mo Mm. which represents that moment or period of time in which he made the decision, I'm going to do this. And then it goes back into fast motion again. And you're well, able to now to use the slow-mo pretty, pretty well. It's yeah. just the changing partners that, that um, I haven't seen done yet. <laughs> yeah. So I would love to see something like that where the player can completely customize their experience that way. And so that, you know, you're not trying to please everyone in the sense that let's create a system that's going to work for everyone, but rather let the player choose. I just want it to be freaking turn-based, man. I just want initiative and I just want as much time as I want to make my decision, make yeah. it totally strategic. Or another person's like, fetch that. I just want to run and gun and slash and fight. And either person can choose to play the game how they want. Um, anyways, now back to what we're talking about. <laughs> just narrative and world building. World yeah, building and I, narrative. I think that um, I have no idea why that got brought up. Trying to have your cake and eat it too, I it think, was interesting. the sentiment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trying to do both. Trying to do the best of both will usually lead you to not pleasing anybody. So yeah. you, you kind of have to, most of the time you have to choose. Yeah. I want this to be leaning this way and this is the crowd that I'm making it for. This is my target audience. This is the type of player we want and we're going to please them. Game's not for these people over here. Usually that's the best way to go rather than trying to please everybody. It's too yeah. hard to do that. Um, some people here are bringing up the Tales games talking about how they have refined options to control the party and does it well. And then of course the Tale games, actually I'm remembering now Tales of Symphonia and Tales of Fantasia um, did a pretty pretty good job of uh giving you an action system within an rpg boundaries kind of i don't have enough experience with tales games like i've played them yeah we've but played i've never the gotten ones, not the newer ones i've never gotten so hooked by them that i felt like compelled like i've got to finish this yeah all i know is that i did not like berseria's combat oh berseria uh -huh. at all it was mostly like face button combo style. Press triangle, square, circle, X in like the right combination and you'll do oh. this move. And you can customize which buttoned combinations mm. would do which move. So you can say, I want this move to be triangle, circle, triangle. And then you would like put it in there. Um, I didn't think that it did the best job either of being an interesting command-based thing. <laughs> it was more like combo-based. Uh mm. And it just felt like a button masher. I, I didn't like it. Um, I have not played Vesperia. I know that they just released... I think it's a re-release of Vesperia that's come out recently that people have been playing, and I think that's what they're talking about. Yeah, where they're talking about um, uh, Yuri. Yeah, I... Uh, I don't know. I've never really, like, loved Tails Combat because I think I played Gilia with, um, oh, with, the, with, the, with the patrons. And it was like... It's okay... And that allowed you to sort of switch characters. I do remember that. You could, like, switch to the other character and stuff. But, again, it's it still isn't, like, exactly perfect for what I'm talking about. You don't feel like you have control over all the dudes at all the time. You have to pass control to the computer at some point. Yeah. It's like, I'm here attacking, boom, 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 and the computer has to handle what the other people are doing until I switch to them. When I switch to them, the character I just was now becomes controlled by the computer. Some people don't want that to ever happen. I do not want the computer dictating what the character does. Gambits are the best answer I've yet seen for that, where at least 
the computer is telling them to do what I told the computer to tell them to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if anything, if you're going to lose control like that, at least make it so like you guys got to huddle before the fight or something and be like, hey, you do this, yeah. you do this, and at least give you some it's, control before the fight. It's interesting you bring that up because uh, the NFL was um, his inspiration for Gambit's. Oh. So he oh, was really? watching football and he was like, you know, what if I made a system where you drop a plan before you go into battle, like a huddle, like just you just said, and there everyone knows their job and then they execute <laughs> their job. And so th- that was his entire inspiration behind Gambits. Um, Sweet. But anyways, it's not it's just not possible to have the same level of control over the party as a traditional turn based in a real-time action battle system. You don't get it. Like, you will lose some level of control. But the, the key is, how much is someone willing to um, give up? How much control are they willing to give up in, re- in exchange for fast-paced action combat? Yeah. And if there's a slider there, then you can dictate exactly how much control you want to give up to tailor it to your experience. And I would love to see someone try that. Anyways, well, let's move on to the last thing. This is community right. stories. This one came from THP. Um, in my Kingdom Hearts uh, streams, uh, a question came up about, hey, you know, I'm struggling with um, being more social, with being able to talk to people, with uh, shyness and 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 feeling scared to socialize, you know, social anxiety. And, you know, I thought it was just going to be kind of a quick answer to that, but there was a lot of people who kind of jumped in on that, and, and the, mm. the, the conversation continued for quite a long time. And then this was asked in the, um, in the comments of the archive when I uploaded it to YouTube. Uh, so it was something that seemed to be a popular topic, and so uh, he wanted me to bring it up on the podcast and expand on it if possible. And so I thought we'd do that before closing. Cool. Uh, so this is from THP says, Hey Mike, I found you talking about being social and your experience. Very interesting. Um, I'd love to hear on a podcast, both your personal life growing up and learning how you became more social. Uh, I think it'll make for a neat topic. It would be really nice to hear. Um, okay. So I am, uh, a extremist introvert by nature. Like, yeah hardcore introvert um i was very very shy growing up i had a really hard time meeting new people talking to people um and really just being around more than a small group of people ever um my brother made all my friends for me uh he is very extroverted very outgoing and so i I, I, wanna, I don't want to say I relied on him because it wasn't like an expectation, like, hey, go make my friends for me. But I wouldn't have had any friends, mostly, had he not gone out to meet people first. And then right. he's like, hey, there's these kids down the street. Like, come over with me and, like, meet these people. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't really want to. I'm staying here play video games. He's like, hey, man, like, come on. Like, we're going to do this or that. And, like, they're cool. And, like, this guy's like this. And then he would, like, tell me all about them. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, so I, and, and high school was a freaking nightmare. Like I just had the hardest time with like, cause I think that 
I, I wasn't I wasn't popular, obviously, because I, I didn't put myself out there. But nobody thought I was weird. It was just like I was invisible. I I never felt like an outcast. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I never gave anyone a chance to outcast me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Also, so, you guys probably don't know about Mike, um, especially back in high school. Mike was extremely athletic. And yeah, so, I played sports. Yeah, Mike was really good at sports, really good at basketball, played on the team and all that kind of stuff. And um, that may have been also part of the reason why no nobody really cared to mess with you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like I knew all the guys who were going to parties, were popular, were yeah. the jocks at school because I was on the team with them. But right. my relationship with them began and ended at practice or at the game. Exactly. Uh, in the locker room, I didn't associate. I would leave practice or I would go home uh, and and there was no contact outside of practice. Yeah. And there was one time where... I think we were uh, we were having a water break or something, and there was someone who was like, "Hey, man!" Like, uh, they, they, we we were just chatting about something. I can't remember what it was, and he was like, "Yo, you're pretty cool. Like, you should come hang out with us." And I was like, "I just didn't. I just didn't go because I was freaking I, I scared <laughs> out of my mind to yeah. like interact with girls and like." Right. So I had this. I had a really really big problem with being antisocial, with being very afraid, um, any kind of public speaking. I remember uh, there was one time where um, it was an English class and the entire thing was about um, it, it was a, it, it was about public speaking. It was about learning to get up in front of a group and like instruct or teach. And so uh, I decided to teach juggling as my assignment for that. Mm-hmm. And I got up in front of the class and it was one of the most vivid experiences where I had I, I literally forgot. My entire, I had it written on the page, but it was fuzzy. I couldn't like focus. I was shaking. Like I couldn't talk. And I just turned to my teacher. I was like, I'm, I'm like really nervous. I've, I've completely blanked. I don't know what's going on. And she kind of tried to help me. And I, I finally like could focus on the paper. And then I, I went through the presentation and I got through it, but I was just paralyzed with fear with, when it came to like socializing. Um, if I was around like you guys, I, I remember there was a party you guys had at your house one time. Um, and there was a bunch of people there. Who was that girl that I liked? Uh, I'm so bad with names. What year was this? 19, no, no, 2000, 2000 or 2001, probably. Ooh. Maybe 2002. But I think it was my freshman year of high school, which would have been 2000. I think one. should I say the name on the stream? <laughs> I, I don't think, think she, I, I don't think I don't think she's gonna watch because oh, I don't no. I don't remember I don't remember her name. Was it Rebecca? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was there. <laughs> yeah, I remember that actually. I remember. Do that. you remember this party? Yeah, I do remember this party. Okay, it was at your house. Yeah, it was at my place, and we watched a movie, Seven yeah. Brides for Seven Brothers. I think. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, not, not a great movie, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I could get through it if it was in a familiar environment like your house because I was over at your house sure, all the yeah. freaking time. Yeah, it was more yeah. my house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than anything else. Yeah. It was like a second house to me, right? So, yeah. like, I could be comfortable and be there for a while, but I don't remember staying that long. I think that I left after, like, an hour or something. Uh-huh. Um, but I had a <laughs> – anyways, the, the whole point of setting this up is to say that I really struggled with this. So – there were people on the chat who were saying, 
they had a really hard time with this too. How do you overcome this? How do you, because you need to learn how to socialize. You need to learn how to talk to people, to function in this world, to network, to you know improve your relationships, to advance your career, to find success in life. You have to work with people. As much as I try not to, even to this day, as much as I try to lone wolf a lot of stuff that I do and work alone and do it myself, it's just not optimal. In most environments, you've got to rely on a team in order to like get things done, rely on the strengths of different people yeah. and work together. So um, I served a mission uh, for the church that I grew up in and I was sent to Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, and one of the very first things they made us do when we got there was cold contact on Vermont Street. Uh, no, oh, yeah. Fremont Street. Fremont Street's what it's called. And if anyone's familiar with the city of Vegas, Fremont Street is like one of the – how do I put this? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's the scarier part of town. It's, mm. um, it's, there's a lot of crime there in that area. Um, they, they would take us out and they would just have us cold contact people on the street, walk up and start conversations. And to some degree, like that is effective. That's almost like, what do they call it in psychology? Um, where you, it's like, it's not exposure, but you expose yourself to the thing you're afraid of to like, oh, yeah, yeah. Used to I it. mean, I don't, it's like confrontation or something, but yeah. Batman does it and Batman begins. He goes in like yes, into the, he all goes the bats. In the bat cave. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and and it, 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 I, I think it's exposure. Yeah, it, it's something exposure like it. something yeah. or other. Exposure therapy or whatever. Anyways, yeah. to some degree, that can be effective. But that was their entire goal with this was just to be like, get you used to it to, to where the fear of it goes away. Um, mm. But. That's not necessarily going to be the answer for you because it wasn't for me. Like I, I, I just became used to the fact that I'm going to have to be uncomfortable every day and have uncomfortable conversations, but it didn't help me actually get anywhere. It didn't help me actually learn how to talk to people. And one of the things that I learned that has to this day been just super, super effective for me, the concept was it's not about learning to say interesting things or, or be super charismatic like those things help if that comes naturally to you but if it doesn't you can still have great conversations with people if you learn how to ask questions and listen to what people say yeah. that is literally the key to being able to socialize with people if you're an introvert is asking questions and listening because people love talking about themselves themselves like, exactly yeah Think about, think about it this way. How easy would it be for you as an introvert to socialize with people if they came up to you, you didn't have to go over them, and they just started asking you, hey, what's your name? What, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? How long have you been in the school? What's your favorite uh, subject in school? Uh, you know, what, are you, what do you think about this or that? political issue if they just came and started asking you questions it would be super easy because you could just say say what your opinions are right um use that <laughs> as a way to get the other person talking right. you go up to them and you ask them the right questions and the hardest part is always the initial contact how do you make that 
uh, natural. How do yeah. you approach somebody and, and say hi and like know. strike up the conversation? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And this was the part that eluded me for the longest time while I was out there for the two years I was there. So at first it was the exposure. It was the get used to getting over the fear of just walking up to someone and talking to them. But it didn't change how awful and awkward that conversation usually became. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it was like learn how to ask questions. And that really helped me in when I was already in a conversation to keep it going and to, and to, to make the conversation meaningful with the person, mm. because then it was like, Oh, this person actually cares about what I think and what I say. And we, we would go back and forth. And when you're asking questions and listening, they'll almost always say something that sparks an opinion that you want to share. So then you'll add your little bit sure. to that. Yeah. And then you ask another question and they go on about that. And then it sparks something you want to say. And then the, the conversation there becomes very natural. But how do you start it? How do you strike it up in the first place? And I don't know what exactly led me to like trying this, but it, it works almost all the time. Um, is, is if you go up to someone and you allow them to help you somehow. So uh, at the time, for me, it was, uh, this is before everyone had cell phones with GPS in them. So this wouldn't work today, <laughs> but it's the same concept. I would walk up to someone and I would say, hey, I'm new to this area and I'm trying to find this address or I'm trying to find this place. I'm a little lost. Do you know where this street is? Uh, all these streets have like similar names to them. Um, and they would say, oh yeah, uh, you know, they'd be glad to like, kind of, yeah, you just turn this way and you go over that way and, and then you'll find it there on the left side or wherever. And it's like, oh wow, cool. Like how long have you been in the neighborhood? It seems like you've been here a long time. Led into a question. Oh, you know, I've, I've been here for, you know, five or six years. We moved because of this. Oh, so you do that for a living. Um, how do you enjoy that? Like what got you into, you know, that profession or whatever? Oh, you know, like. When I was in college, you know, I was doing this first and then I ended up doing that. And it just totally spirals into a conversation. Now, you don't want to overstay your welcome. The guy's out there like mowing his lawn or watering his lawn or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't want to sit there and talk to him for two hours. But I could have a three to five minute conversation, get a feel for like what that person, uh, where that person's at in life, whether they had any interest in talking to me. And I could make a determination whether it's appropriate to try and like bring this up or not and move on. Right. Right. But. I learned the skill for how to start a conversation, ask the right questions, learn about who this person is, what they're all about, and sort of like add to that in a way to where they, they're interested in me too. Because if you let someone go on and on about themselves for like 10, 15 minutes, they're, they're going to want to kind of return the favor. They'll be like, well, what about you? You know, like, what, right. what do you do? Like, wh why are you here? Why, yeah, where are you, why are you out here in 115 degree weather walking around in a suit and tie? Like, what, uh, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and so then I could talk about, well, this is why I'm here and this is why it's important to me and blah, 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 blah. So anyways, those are the three keys for me. First of all, it's going to be awkward no matter what. It's good. You're going to have a lot of fear, but. You got to go out there and start doing it. You have to go out there and start trying. Expose yourself to the awkwardness, to the scariness, enough to where it no longer becomes scary, becomes routine. Then uh, allow the person to help you with something. You have a question for them generally, and and you allow them to give their expertise on, on in some way, even if that expertise is just they're they've been in this neighborhood forever and they know the neighborhood well and can give you direction. Whatever it is. 
you you allow them to sort of like help you with something and then you spiral that into asking them questions about how did they become so knowledgeable about that thing like that's cool like how did you know that like and from there you just spitball and it becomes supernatural and you can talk to people really easily i think so, the important thing was that you were placed in a situation where you more or less had had to do that. yeah didn't have and a choice i think traveling for me like when i mm. went to japan i met tons of people in japan because well, first off, I was, you know, I'm, I'm I'm like six foot three and I had curly hair and I'm white and they, they were all just like, why are you here? You know, what, they were what, just what, like, what fetch. And, and I was just, I stuck out like a sore thumb, you know, but um, it was really fun. I got to meet so many people because like people weren't interested in talking to me, but also um, like I, I got lost. I, I didn't have a cell phone plan um, in Japan where that would let me roam, that would let me do outside of the country. It was going to cost tons of money. So I did still need to ask people for directions. Mm. And it's funny because you put yourself in a situation where you have to talk to other people. And, you know, that's where you can actually practice that skill, this skill. It, I think it'd be really difficult for a lot of people to just kind of think to go out and do that. But it's like, if you, if any of you guys have ever had the desire to travel, that'll also help you um, mm -hmm. because you're probably going to have to talk to people and they're going to want to talk to you, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, that's it Yeah. Uh, for this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Did anybody people. else say anything that you see that would be, we want to address oh, people a tons, out? tons. I just don't know. <laughs> we don't have time to, to go through to what everybody. everyone's been saying but okay. tons of people have just been like dude i agree with you like mike and every people are sharing their own stories here like somebody gliding falcon said this has become a group therapy session which i actually think is really <laughs> cool because yeah. i don't know there's a lot of people i think it's happening more and more with social media and with just kind of the way the world works now that people people aren't you know getting out as much as they used to. And that's not anyone's mm. fault. That's just kind of how the world works now. But there is like something inside of everybody that's like, man, I, I wish like somebody had, I can't find it, but somebody had said earlier, man, I wish I was an extrovert. And it's like, well, I don't know, like be yourself. Being man. Extroverts it's, has its own issues, yeah. right? Like, like it definitely does. Yeah. And so, um, it's just like, yeah, be yourself. But if you do want to be more extroverted than you are, you know, it's like, but don't wish, don't wish. I think a lot of people secretly have that. They're like, man, they see all the people going out and having fun every weekend. And, you know, and it's like, well, what you're doing is fun too. Like, just don't compare yourself to other people. Well, that right? actually brings something up that I want don't to talk about. about what they're uh, doing. So I am huge introvert, right? So I actually yeah. enjoy being alone. I can right. become recharged from being alone. I, I, I'm able to relax when I'm alone. I find peace when I'm alone. Now, for those of those of you who are introverts and you're like, man, I wish I was extroverted. I wish I was different than I was. Here is the total freaking nightmare for an extroverted person is being alone. When you're alone, you feel worthless. You feel like no one loves you. Right. You feel no yeah. peace. And, 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 you know, I don't yeah. want to get like too personal. Um, my brother, who I told you guys about earlier, he's an extreme extrovert right yeah you two and are almost exact opposite total <laughs> opposites of each other yeah and he's gone through some hard times recently and he's right. moved into his own apartment and he can't stand being there by himself and and that to me is something i'm glad i'll never have to live with or experience is is that fact that i can be okay being alone 
Like I can yeah. feel, okay. I feel better. I feel good about myself when I'm alone because I know I don't have to rely on other people around me to feel good, to feel like I'm, um, worth it, that, uh, that I'm loved, yeah. that I'm cared for. I don't, I don't have to ever worry about that feeling of loneliness, <laughs> uh, and, and how awful that would feel if, if you're in a place where, um, I don't know if you've moved to a new area, which is why he, he went out and met, uh, your family, right? The first thing yeah. he does is go out and meet people because he can't stand right. the thought of, I don't have any friends in this new neighborhood. I don't have any friends right. around me. The fear of not having people would be horrible. I feel would be horrible to live with. I'm so glad that I'm not extroverted for that reason <laughs> Yeah, because I can feel okay being alone. See, and, and that's the hard thing. Extroverts have to rely on other people. And guess yeah. freaking what? Other people aren't reliable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they you can't rely on other you people. You can only rely on yourself. And but you, and, I, I do think there's a there's a medium. Introverts tend to, because it's fun, or it, because it's not not fun to be alone, I guess, because it's fine, you know, it's it's, and sometimes people are hard to deal with and it's easier to just not deal with them. Um, I think introverts can you know both sides can sometimes take a little a little too far so if yeah there's nothing wrong with being on either end but extroverts maybe you know learn just a little bit to be okay with just kind of being you know alone with your thoughts for a little while i love it. i talk yeah. to myself a lot i'm i'm yeah. kind of in the middle of the introvert extrovert spectrum but i, I enjoy being alone and Cosmic Cards just said, what about you? I peg you as an ambivert, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm both. I'm both. I mean, when Mike and I were friends in high school, I was typically the more, um, I was the one that would, you know, be silly or stupid or. Yeah, met more you people. Know, yeah, and I would talk to people, people and girls and stuff. I was more like that. And Mike, Mike was less like that, right? But I thought it was a fun way. We both kind of, because Mike was really good at, he was really good at playing guitar and basketball and all these things that Mike would do like on his own, right? Because that's mm -hmm. stuff you can do alone. And I yeah. wasn't as good at those things, but I liked to learn them along with Mike. And then Mike would come along with me and we'd go meet people and, you know, mm -hmm. do something more social. So we both like were able to help each other. out. I think that's why we had such a close friendship. Yeah. Um, so two things. I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. I'm probably more extroverted though. I'm probably a little more extroverted than introverted. Yeah. A nice balance between the two. Yeah. Um, one thing you touched on was, how when you rely on other people and other people are unreliable, you know, yes. like that, that's another type of like nightmare scenario for a person who's like, you think you can rely on these people. You think these people are your friends and the heartbreak of, you know, it's not necessarily that people are bad or that they're trying to hurt you or anything, but people just get busy or they forget or exactly. But people that will, yeah. that will come across to an extroverted personality, more like a betrayal more than it would to an introverted personality like mine. Who's like, yeah. oh, I'm okay with that. Actually, I'm totally cool that we're not, our plans are canceled. Great. I'm going to stay home. And freaking, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have to worry about that. You know, um, I've been more like that since I've been married. I've been like, I don't, because people, couples, like people would invite us over for dinner and it's like, oh, geez, I'd rather just stay at home. I'd rather uh, just watch a Korean TV show or something. Yeah. Uh, Chocolate Rob uh, brings one thing up, though, that I wanted to touch on, too. You haven't said how you ended up socializing with the dude next to you. So I think that was part of the question. Uh, how did we meet each other? Yeah, so, yeah. We didn't really touch on that, huh? I already talked about my brother 
went yeah. out. Did my brother just cold like cold knock on your door well, and just be like, we, "Yo, what's we, up?" We actually met your dad first. That's right, because my dad we came. We met first. your dad at church, right? And he's like, because yeah. your dad had moved down to Arizona before the family had, and then, um, and then your dad. I remember talking to him too, and he was like, "Yeah, I've got sons exactly your age. Where do you live?" And we're like, "Oh, we live super close." So I think your dad told your brother about us. Uh, I told and then he all just of you guys about walked us. over, and then your brother just. One day we just got a knock on the door and it was, he's, it was like see that that's later. that's the kind of dude my brother is. Like he's gonna go cold contact and be yeah. like, What's up? And I live down the street. Up, he had his game Let's boy, he had like I don't know, it was just <laughs> it was it was Steve, you know, it was great. And yeah. he was like, Oh, I've got a brother your age, and it was funny. So he went there first and then he came back over, and I think I remember the conversation because I was playing uh Madden ninety nine, I think, on the N sixty four or something oh, like nice. that. And I was playing it and he was like, dude, yeah, like the, these kids, like they're all the same age as us. Like, come over and hang out. And I was like, no, I don't want to, man. Like I was I I was okay with the move. I had like come to accept it, but yeah. I still felt really like depressed. Uh, about the fact that I, I didn't know anybody and I didn't know what was gonna happen and I, I was worried about the new school and stuff like that. And I was mostly just trying to hide from all of those fears. And so I was just kind of shrinking away and just like playing video games every day. This, I think we moved there right at the end of the summers, like right at the end of August. So school was going to be starting soon. And I was really worried about it because again, I was deathly afraid of talking and meeting people. Mm. I, I hated the thought of even having to like meet people. And so my brother's like, no, man, come over, like come over with me, like meet these dudes. They're cool. Yeah. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I think I came over and, uh, Kaysen and I hit it off with basketball. That was like yeah, the first totally. thing. Cause they had a hoop outside their driveway. I had a hoop outside my driveway. And I think one of the first things we did, actually there was two things. One of the first things Case and I did was we did a, a, like a best of seven like series of one-on-one where we uh, would switch home courts. <laughs> so you'd come over to my oh, house and I'd be on, <laughs> I'd be on my home court. I don't remember that. That's and so we'd funny. play, we'd play two games on my home court, but then yeah. we'd go to your house for your home court for two games. <laughs> Yeah, we were such like nerds. That's great. An NBA best of seven series kind yeah. of a thing, and and I think I even like flipped my jersey inside out to like home road thing. Oh, right? you had the Highland jersey. I think I had the same jersey. Too. Yeah, so you flip it inside out, and it's a different color, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the white and silver, silver <laughs> and blue or something. Yeah. Right. So, that's anyways, awesome. that was the way that Casey and I first connected. But yeah, um, we were uh, twelve or thirteen, I think. Someone's mm-hmm. asking how old we were. Yeah, I had just turned twelve because it was August, yeah. so I had just barely turned twelve. And Casey and turned I was thirteen, 12, and I, in I turned October. thirteen a few months later. Yeah. Yeah. So Casey's uh, uh, like ten months older than me, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyways, uh, but the group, our brothers, like all of us together, I think that it was just like a Monday night thing. And your parents and your family just came over and we had yeah. like a dinner and stuff. And I remember that that's where you guys told us that you made movies. Um, and I was like, oh, dude, I make movies and I'm into that, too. And like, we should make a movie. And so it was almost right away. I want to say first or second week that our family had been there that we decided we were going to make a movie. And so we made our first little James Bond movie James and Bond, yeah. Star Wars and Mission Impossible. We made movies. And that's like, yeah. that, that was what really cemented the friendship was the I filmmaking so. yeah. part of it. Um, we'd go see movies together all the time. Uh, that's right. Made Your older brother got a job at the movie theater. And so we'd all yeah. sometimes get free tickets. Yeah. So 
the bonding together over filmmaking and watching movies. I remember we had a, uh, we slept over at your house on the weekend. We watched all the star Wars movies together. Yes. We went and saw Jurassic park three in theaters and we were super disappointed in how dumb it was. Anyways, we bonded over Jurassic park, star Wars, like movies that we left Lord of the Rings, especially in high school. Lord of the Rings. When that came out. Yeah. We were all huge. We all saw that like four or five times. We went and saw X-Men two in theaters, like three or four times. Yeah, Totally. We would yeah. go rewatch movies like every weekend, basically. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how we met and how we started um, to become friends and stuff. So. Yep. Um, anyways. And now here we are. Here we are. Still making videos and still doing stuff. Um, anyways, that's it. Thank you, everybody. All right, guys. For joining the podcast this week. Appreciate you guys. Uh, like I said, we know the topic for next week so we will study it <laughs> yes it is, yes we'll, how we'll, do you go, we'll be prepared how do you properly adapt a a video game to a film that's going to be the topic so you guys can come with some of your thoughts too if you want to look into that and have a good conversation oh please do anyways you guys are beasts we'll see you again soon Kason's got a Kingdom Hearts video coming to the channel soon yep look forward to that look forward to it peace out everybody peace